There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. Kuki, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you, Mark. What a month it's been, hey? Oh, crazy. It's, uh, well, you know, data, I'll be able to rely on data. And uh, now, of course, everybody in the world knows about data. <laughs> and we all look at the same data they look at. It, and, of course, we all jump to conclusions. And the big narrative now, mate, is the narrative. Now, I don't mean the narrative comes in different forms, but the narrative in terms of the mainstream media and the narrative that I get out on the street, people saying things to me, and I get, I reckon you'd be getting the same thing. The narrative is, looks like there's a rate, rate rise coming in November. And by the way, it's always, you know, it is an important meeting because rarely do they raise it in December. They're not going to have another meeting in January. So if they have to do something, they've got till February. Um, the new RBA meeting schedule hasn't been put into place until 20. It doesn't get put into place until sometime next year. We haven't, don't even know who the new RBA board members are going to be or, or, or the, indeed who the deputy is going to be. So um, we expect we'll have another our 2024 meeting will be first off of February. They're not going to do something in December because they don't want to upset all the retailers because it's just going to kill public sentiment. So, you know, Melbourne Cup Day is a big day. What a do you reckon, mate? Day. So what, you, what, what are you hearing? So what are you Look, hearing around the traps? What I hear around the traps is a couple of different things. And, there's a, and this is like in all economies, there's the good bits, the medium bits and the bad bits. Yeah, the Goldilocks. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. There's yep. a, and the, the economy's got a whole bunch of those right now. Where the weakness in the economy is coming still clearly is is consumer demand, consumer spending. It's been weak, as we've discussed in recent months. It's the consumer that's being crunched by cost of living, the fact that prices are still going up more than their wages, so therefore my purchasing power of my weekly paycheck is less, and therefore I'm hunkering down, I'm not spending as much. That's happening. And of course, the mortgage interest rate hikes are hurting people. So that's one part of the economy. The other part that's actually doing okay Actually, better than okay is the business investment side of the economy. You know, we had the NAB survey come out, uh, what was that, about two weeks ago. And while, while it's, the business confidence has come down a bit, businesses are still pretty optimistic. They're ramping up their capex. They're investing in IT, you know, artificial intelligence and all this sort of stuff. So part of it's by necessity. But nonetheless, it's still economic growth. So they're ramping up you know, computers and all this stuff. So that's a, another part of the economy. And the bit that's sort of in between um, is the international economy. You know, we've had good news out of the US economy. It's actually been surprisingly resilient. It's slowed down, but not much. Which is bad for the US in terms indeed, of interest rates. Indeed, because the problem is there's possibly more to come. But the number of countries that are having negative GDP is growing almost by the week. We've had Germany, France, New Zealand, Canada, 
have all had negative GDP. And that's just off the top of my head. There's probably a whole bunch of other little economies that are now actually in recession, basically. Can, can, can you correlate, so, uh, can, can, before you go on past yeah, that, yeah. Can you, are you able to correlate or has somebody correlated the interest rate regime relative to those, um, let's call them recessions or negative yeah. growth? Did all those countries start their rate rise much earlier than us? And did all those countries yep. raise by much more than us? It's all in the ballpark of a similar sort of thing. Like the European Central Bank's cash rate's four and a half. We're at 4.1. Yep. Okay, it's a little bit different. And they've hiked a little bit more than us, but their inflation rate was much higher than ours. Right. So I've got to, That's got to put that into some sort of context too. New Zealand certainly hiked earlier and more. So their economy's going backwards. They had labour market numbers out uh, earlier this week. Unemployment's jumped from 3.2 to 3.9. Wow. So it's still low, but it's up. You know, three quarters of a percent in that's a lot. A couple of quarters. It's gone up a lot, and in fact, you know, the momentum's going to be four next time we get the numbers from New Zealand. Canada's much the same. You know, its economies, uh, because they're so interlinked with the USA, Bank of Canada tends to do what the Fed does, not not in lockstep, but tends to. So everyone's hiked a lot. You know, we we know that, and we've discussed this in the past that you know, Europe, US, UK, Canada, New Zealand, Aussie, yeah, we've all hiked interest rates. But most of them hiked more than us. Most of them hiked a little more than us. Most of them had a bigger inflation problem than us. Yes. Now, we still had an inflation problem. And the other thing which we've spoken about many times is what we call this transmission mechanism. I'll try not to get my economic jargon too high. Uh, uh, but the transmission mechanism, because I'll, I'll do you two contrasting economies and all the other economies in the middle. The US has a huge domination of 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. In other so words, when, people's interest rates do not change for not 30 change. years. The Fed hikes interest rates. I took out my 30-year mortgage five years ago at whatever, 3 4%. I don't care. So they've got to hike even more to have a bigger impact on the economy, whereas we know in Australia, other than the sort of little uh, COVID-related blip in fixed-rate loans, Increasing, but they're only two, two, they're two only or two three, three years, and they're all rolling off now. That proverbial mortgage cliff. Most of our loans are uh, about eighty-five percent are variable, and this is why this podcast is such a good thing. When the RBA hikes, it gets passed on very, very quickly, and so for us consumers, we think, "Oh my God, you know, here's a rate hike. It's hitting my hip pocket next month." Yeah. So my repayments are going up by fifty bucks, eighty bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever it happens to be, every month. So it, so the RBA interest rate moves. Are like um, much more you know, effective. Are like a, a shot of uh, schnapps versus a very diluted gin and tonic, which is what the, you know. Which is so it has a bigger and that's impact. The, and that's yeah, correct. And so, and I agree with that. And that's the argument. The transmission process is the argument why we probably didn't need to move as fast or perhaps as many times. Spot on. Spot on. Yeah, that reconciles for me why we move. We moved. A number of times looks like a lot, but relative to other places, it's not that not that fast, not that many, and not that early. And the other thing, and there's a couple of months difference, but in the scheme of economics, yeah, you know, if the if the I don't know the Bank of Canada went fifty basis points more than us, and they started two months earlier than us, in the scheme of economics, a month or two is not a big not a big deal to be to be frank. But at the end of the day, when we look, we track the trajectory of GDP uh, and employment and unemployment. All those other economies that went a little bit before us have had their GDP turning down, inflation turning down. And if you put us on the same chart, I'd love to have that chart here, we're about three months behind them. So, so would it's that, exactly would, the same profile. Would, so would there be any comfort in that in that outcome for our Reserve Bank Governor? Oh, I think so, yes. And in fact, when they make their announcement next week, Melbourne Cup afternoon, 
I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit more than the usual amount of coverage of the international economy. They always mention, of course, you know, we're part of a global economy, what happens in China, the US, it matters to us, you know, it's an important part. But I reckon right now there are lessons from what's happened in the international economy. So your point about, okay, Canada's hiked more, England's hiked more, the Americans have hiked more, New Zealand, and they're having a weaker economy, true. But we're just lagging behind by three months. So when we come back here in February, I'm pretty confident that our GDP numbers will be pretty poor, unemployment will be getting towards 4%, and that inflation rate will still be coming down. Does the RBA share that view, or are they happy with the speed at which that's happening? That's the question for next week at the RBA. So in so the narrative at the, let's call it the retail end of journalism, yep. um, you know, like what you might hear on the Today Show or, you know, Sunrise or, you know, Sydney Morning Herald or the AFR, et cetera, at the retail level, um, it's all in favour of a rate rise. Yep. It's sort of scary stuff, you know, like everyone's it's, – it's nearly hyped, nearly hyped. What people are you listening to, which and then you, and unfortunately or fortunately for us, we're a little bit more boring. <laughs> we tend to read a lot what a lot of other economists say. Yes. So oh, what, what, what's your output there? What, what are you hearing? Yeah, and this is a very unusual circumstance for me because normally, like when interest rates were 0.1, you know, they were going to hike. It was just a matter of how often, when, which month. Yeah, that, it, was, it was easy to work out. Now that they've already hiked 400 points, the economy's slowing down. There is, there is genuinely a, a debate. Do we need to do more or less? Now, after that inflation number came out uh, a week or so ago and was – one or two tenths above expectations. Like it wasn't that bad, anyway. But it wasn't. It wasn't below. It wasn't below, correct. Yeah. And so, which is what everybody was sort was of hoping like, for, yeah, hanging out for. Um, we had basically everyone in financial markets, the big four banks, and a lot of the other investment banks saying, "Yeah, they've got a hike. They've got a hike." So I think on the latest Bloomberg survey, thirty-three out of thirty-five are saying there's a twenty-five point hike coming uh, on Melbourne Cup Day. Now I've been. Yeah, I, I read. A lot. I love reading different things. The curious thing that I've noticed in this last four or five days is that journalists who have been around for a long time, financial journalists, Name so Ross Gittins, Alan Kohler, Peter Martin, Terry McCran, you know, these people who, you know, they, they're not sort of newcomers. These people have been around for a long, long time. They've all written funnily enough, coincidentally, I don't know, that there's no need for the RBA to hike interest rates. So the market got itself in a bit of a tiz, you know, when they saw the inflation rate and there's sort of this, uh, as often happens in financial markets, I don't want to be the last person to call the rate hike. So there's sort of this herd mentality and that's not being rude. I used to be part of that herd yep. mentality and, you know, whatever. It's just the way that it, that it works. But the I'll call it the people who don't have don't have a, not a vested interest, but don't have skin in the game. You yeah. know, so if they hike on, you know, Ross Gittins, Alan Collar, you know, terrific journos, they write really you know, interesting stuff about the economy. Don't always agree. That's fine. But, but what's, fact, it, that's well, what's their thesis all, behind it? The thesis is the economy is already slowing down. Right. That Represented by or, or expressed represented by? Represented by GDP, right. GDP per capita, retail sales, Definitely consumer per capita. sentiment. Yeah. Consumer sentiment, those sort of things. They're all really, really weak. So they're sort of saying they don't need to hike. And there's still the full effect of those rate hikes yet to bite the economy. There's a lag vector. It was only in June that we saw the last rate hike. Now, okay, here we are in November. But it's about two to three months, the, the lag so for the every first, rate hike. And then it keeps keeps impacting yep. through the economy. And um, and plus we've got the fixed rates still coming off. Still ca- correct. There's about a third of them still to go, yep. or a fraction under about a quarter, actually, that's still, still going on. But these journos are sort of saying, well, look, the RBA's done a lot. 
And yeah, we're focusing on petrol prices, for example. The miss on the inflation forecast for the September quarter uh, was about 0.2 difference. What happened to petrol prices in the September quarter? They went by, by 8%. Their contribution to the, that 1.2 inflation rate was 0.2. Right. So had the Russians and the Saudi Arabians not cut oil production, soaring the, seeing the price go up to 90 US dollars a barrel and the price here go to two bucks a litre or whatever, uh, the inflation would have been dead on expectations. Uh, so this is saying, look, and, and already just as I was just checking my um, screens this morning, the oil price is back to 80 bucks a barrel. It's come off $10 yeah, yeah. a barrel as, you know, the dust is settling from, you know, the, the Saudis and Russians and all this other stuff. So there's a, and the Americans have ramped up their production. So oil's back to where it was. So, you know, in... The December quarter, when we get those numbers at the end of January, it's probably going to be minus 0.2 comes off the CPI because petrol's back, will soon be back under $2 a litre. So therefore we'll get, oh, well, isn't inflation nice and low? So they're arguing, the argument that they're generally putting, and it is, they're all a little bit different, of course, they're all independent thinkers, is that inflation is still slowing. It went from 78 to 5.4, still coming down. The economy is slowing. GDP has gone from 5 to 2% annual growth. And it'll probably fall again in the second half of this year when we get the data. The unemployment rate has snuck up a bit, not much. No, Wages aren't a concern for inflation. It's one base point. Yeah. Yeah. And and look at and look at the international economy as we were just touching on. A lot of countries are in, you know, in, in a bad way. Don't hike too much too late, which has been a mistake that central bank central banks around the world often make. So where's Powell? What's he doing? The, the Fed yeah. Reserve. Well, we had the Fed this morning yep. as we're recording this. We they had their announcement. Rates on hold. No, no surprise there. Have they have they this, have they had similar data um, more recently in relation to the unemployment number uh, kicking down a bit? Um, you know, it, inflation kicking up a bit. And he sort of covered that really quite nicely. They said that they've been surprised by the resilience of the economy. They thought that the, well, 550 points of rate hikes, that's a lot, you know, in an economy like the US, that they've delivered would slow the economy more abruptly and earlier. But we're seeing the unemployment rate in the US still below 4%. Uh, wages are coming off. Inflation's still coming down in the US. And he was sort of saying... Uh, a couple of different things. It's too early to talk about rate cuts. So that was one, you know, nail in the coffin for an well, early rate cut. And that makes sense. They're not yeah, going to cut rates. You know, totally. So, so there's no surprise. But And he also said, well, our, the grounds for us to hike again are certainly not there. We may, but as you touched on at the very beginning, it depends on just how that inf uh, inflation momentum goes, the next couple of employment numbers, what happens to the economy more broadly. And they meet uh, in the middle of December, their next FOMC, Federal Open Markets Committee meeting, in the middle of December. Uh, and if the numbers come out super strong, fine, they'll go, you know, they'll hike again. But the, but the jury's out because a lot of their leading indicators, and this is the other thing that uh, Powell said, is they call it what is it, the ISM, Institute of Supply Management Surveys. They're like a business confidence survey, like our NAB survey of manufacturing and services and construction companies. They are all, all negative, and they've all been negative for at least six months. The only time that's ever happened in history is when there's about to be a recession. So he's cautious that wow. he doesn't want to do too much too late as well. Even though the economy is resilient now, he's still nervous or alert to the fact that in three or six months' time, oh, my God, the economy's weakened. Aren't I glad I didn't hike again in November and December? Since our last meeting, yours and my last meeting, <laughs> can you just quickly outline the key indicators that were published by the ABS during the month of um, October? Big one was the CPI. 
you know, we've touched on that already. The September quarter CPI came at 1.2% quarter on quarter. It, it was a slowing in annual terms, but the quarterly increase was about 0.2 higher than expected. As we just said, it was larger due to petrol. Yep. And that's going to go unwind next quarter. So that high, inflation was a bit higher. Not massively, but a bit. We had the employment numbers. We had a, well, one of these ones that was a quirky one because employment was really weak. It was only up 6,000 jobs. We normally get 30,000 to keep the status quo. But because the participation rate fell, the unemployment rate ticked down from 3.7 to 3.6. So, so, it's, so a mathem- it's a mathematical it's change. A quirk. The, the labour market's still slowing. Then we had job vacancies down 17%. That's demand for labour. You know, people put a job ad on Seek or Indeed or whatever they advertise for a job. Uh, they're down 17% from the peak. So demand for labour. So that's as a leading indicator. That's a good thing. So employment's going to be weaker as that filters through to the economy. That was important. Retail sales were sort of okay. They were up um, 0.9 month on month in September, but... A lot of that was due to iPhones, Taylor Swift tickets, yeah. and a lot of those um, Women's World Cup sort of spending and things. And that's all spending. Don't get me wrong. You don't ignore it because it's just those quirky events. But it was sort of explained as something not being sustained in a sense. Uh, there was a big increase in department store sales because it was warm and people got their summer wardrobe. Oh, this They had to sort of revamp their wardrobe. So department store sales of clothes went up a bit. That said, the September quarter numbers, because month-to-month retail sales, it's really yeah. fickle, was probably going to be, the quarterly figure in real terms will probably be 0%, no growth. So the summary of the numbers were, again, that proverbial mixed bag. Some were a little bit better, some were okay, and a couple were much weaker. So, And consumer sentiment remained in the doldrums, so it actually fell back three percentage points. So consumers are still gloomy, gloomy, gloomy. And when they're gloomy, they tend not to spend much. So just on consumer sentiment, because I guess it's important for us to explain how that happens, how they work it out, because it's not as if they um, go and uh, talk to every single consumer in the country. Um, So maybe just explain how the field liaison people work. And they they have field liaison people, both the ABS and the RBA. But let's just talk about the RBA's field liaison uh, process. They ask, well, they start from big business, the ones who are, you know, so if you're asking, say, the retailers, you've got Coles and Woolies and you've got a big part of consumer spending, you know, grocery stores and the like, and they're they're related products like Buddings and Dan Murphy's and all these other subsidiaries that these companies own, basically. Uh, And they ask you how your sales going and they ask, what about your selling prices? That's really important because that's the inflation equation. And so if they say, oh, we're putting up the prices of our of our uh, foodstuffs, our vegetables have gone up, but the price of our washing powder has gone down or whatever the case may be. They'll put that into their equation and sort of get a feel for what's happening from the big business sector. They speak to the business lobby groups, so the Chamber of Commerce and uh, the Australian Bankers Association to see what banks are doing. Are you seeing any uh, increase in bad debts or people behind in their repayments? And they, so there's... Do they go and talk to small business owners? And they talk to COSBOA, the yep, Cosboa, Council yeah. of a Small Business Association. Of Australia. Of Australia, yeah. Who sort of, who are the, uh, what do we call it, the uh, body that looks after the small business sector? Because if you're a small business, you can't lobby the government, but if you pay your dues, they have, oh, I think they've got something like you know, a couple of hundred thousand members. So the little corner shop, you know, the little shop that sells tiles or whatever with a million bucks turnover, they're probably a member of, of uh, the Small Business Association. So the RBA talked to them too. So they put that all into their melting pot to get up-to-date anecdotes because we've got to remember too that you know the Bureau of Stats do a great job. But here we are in November. Do you know what the most recent GDP numbers are? They're for the June quarter. The September quarter numbers don't come out till early December. 
So if they're just, just assume they're a shocker, just say they're really bad, oh, it's too late. So they've got to ask businesses, what are you seeing now? So we're relying on June quarter data for GDP. You know, of course, there's nothing much they can do about it because it must be bloody hard to calculate Australia's GDP. You know, $1, $2, $3. Yeah, so it's a pretty hard thing to do. But uh, so that's why the business liaison is so important. And they do put a lot of weight on the NAB survey because the NAB do a similar thing. They ask four or 500 businesses every month. What are your expected sales? What are you doing with your profits? What are you doing with your labour intentions, hiring people? And the consumer sentiment numbers where... Uh, they get the uh, pe people who poll you for politics, you know, you're going to vote Labor, Liberal, whatever, and 55, 54, whatever. That, they also ask people, what's your consumer sentiment? Are you feeling is it a good time to buy a major item like a washing machine or a telly or a car? And, you know, the things that cost a lot of money, people say, oh, yeah, it's a good time. That's consumer sentiment being strong. People say, oh, no, I'm going to hunker down. Consumer sentiment's weak. So they ask these questions, put them into an index, optimists versus pessimists, and get the net figure. So, that, so that they go and get qualitative data as well as quantitative data. Correct. So it's, it's just touchy-feely in a sense. And, yeah. and that's not being critical. No. It's sort of, sentiment but they should do it. And, and you know, we've discussed animal spirits and sentiment in the past. You know, why... Oh, gee, this is my grey hair. And you, with all due respect, you remember this too. You know, why did 17% interest rates in the late 80s not really cause the economy to weaken for about two years? Sentiment was so positive. Yeah. Why is you know, a cash rate of 4.1 killing the economy now? Sentiment. Sentiment matters a lot. Yeah, and because well, the, the, the whole thing is a psychological game. Great. Righto. Well, okay, well, let's get into the a chart, mate. That's next. Oh, yes. Well, I, I'm getting a feeling uh, we're going to be bucking the trend at the end of this uh, podcast, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because I don't mind bucking the trend because it's funny, just without having gone through the analytics or analysed it like you ordinarily do, just my, my gut feeling is they shouldn't move. Whether they will or not is another matter, but Correct. my gut feeling is that they should not move. I think the gut feeling is, and that's those journos, you know, those highly credentialed, well-experienced journos are talking about, they shouldn't move. Yeah. Doesn't mean they won't, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't move. And, and, we'll and, and I think well, probably another way of saying is they should wait. And wait, yes. And in fact, because inflation is coming down, the economy is slowing, yeah. and you don't want to have your fingerprints on a recession if you're the RBA. Yeah, especially if you're the new RBA. You've government. only been there two months now. and My, my gut feeling is no. Anyway. Let's do it. Okay, GDP. As I said, we don't get the next numbers until next month, so that's neutral. So GDP has slowed down, not a recession. It's certainly slowed down, so you don't hike. That's, that's sort of happy. The RBA would be happy. At 2%. At 2% GDP, given where we've come from. Yep. So neutral. Inflation. Still in the, oh, it's tightening to slightly neutral. Look, no, no, I'll believe it is tightening. It is still too high. Yep. And that's the that's the dominant issue. It had that CPI last month come out 0.2 below expectations, we'd put that firmly in neutral. So that petrol effect, it could unwind very quickly, but I'll. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But it should have already done so with the price of oil. Well, when we get the monthly CPI numbers yeah. for October, November, they'll be much weaker. So we don't. Yes, we don't have to wait for the quarterly figure. But but I must say, petrol prices have not gone down because I mean, if you go to the no. Bowser, I mean, and there must be a lead time from the time. Yeah. What, what is? Do you, do you have any sense of that? What is generally the lead time? Some nice work on petrol, yeah. as in the link between the Singaporean wholesale price and the price we pay, and of course yeah. the Aussie dollar is important too yep, because true. we import almost all of our oil. Um, they say it's about two to three weeks. When the global price goes up, we have about a two-week respite before we pay. Okay. When it comes down, we because the oil companies buy it at that higher price. They have it in their big tanks or you know, refineries, whatever you call it, <laughs> and we pay that. So now that we're down to eighty dollars a barrel as we speak, in what are we? So in the middle of November, I'm pretty unless there's something happens extraordinary in the next two weeks, we'll be back under two dollars a litre. Right. Okay. Good. Because... And that takes and that takes a couple of tenths of off CPI. And when we're talking the difference between, you know, three and a half and four percent, every tenth matters. You know, so it's an important. Absolutely. Thing. And 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 I think your point is that. Um, um, petrol prices are heavily weighted in the, infla- in the inflation number. They've got a very, I think the the last weighting was about seven percent of, and that also is on uh, logistics costs. You know, the the truckies that that sort of uh, bring the goods and services into Woolies and Coles. You know, yeah. their petrol's gone up on these great. They big pass those costs on. Indeed, they do. Yep. And Woolies and Coles yep. will be thinking then they got to pass it they're, on. Correct, because they're they're just the transport costs. Yep. Nothing to do with the box of. Cornflakes. Yep. It's the truck that drives yep. it there. That's yep. an extra cent or two or five cents. Which is why it's so heavily weighted in, in the, the CPI. Number. It yep. matters a lot. Yeah. Labor market. I'm putting neutral. We've got employment slowing, vacancies slowing. Uh, good that we've got unemployment below four percent. Still great. I like low unemployment, but you're not going to hike because uh, the labor market's too tight. You're not going to cut because it's easy. And similarly with wages, they are in. The Goldilocks sweet spot, as they say. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. So, so that, we haven't had a wages explosion, which is the most important part. Certainly not. Which is something they've been worried about for a long time. The RBA certainly docked low when he was governor. Yep. And when he was hiking late last year in the early months of 2023, he spoke a lot about the wage price, price wage spiral, and sort of worried that as the labour market was tight, that wages would kick along. Now, we've had a couple of increases in the minimum wage through the Fair Work Commission. Uh, they haven't been passed on. There's the people at SEEK uh, who do a really good, um, what do you call it, private sector survey of labour costs, so slightly different to wages, um, and they sort of track what the change in the average salary is on all of the jobs that are listed on their website. And it did go, like the, the official data on wages, went from very low to back up to sort of four-odd percent. Last few months, it's just tilted back down. So on their leading indicator of wages, that we've got wages, they're not falling dramatically, but it's 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 at a level that's okay for the RBA. Right. I'm going to just, before we move on, on, on wage price changes, should we quickly just talk about its uh, twin brother or sister um, productivity? Uh, yeah. I, I know it's... Yeah. No, it's a tough, yes, and we're, we're bad at it. Yeah. yeah. So our, and the, 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 the theory being... If wages increase um, by a, a modest amount, which you're saying they have, that's yep. fine. But if yep. productivity 
is poor. In other words, we drop back on productivity, and there's a whole lot of reasons why we drop back on productivity because we have. Yep. Um, then the cost per widget yes. has actually gone up a lot more than the wage increase. Correct. Therefore, if the uh, price of the manufacturer that the manufacturer wants to put the product to the market is elastic, then they're able to pass on a much higher price if they want to. Exactly. I know it's a bit of a, no, no. it's a bit complicated. It but is complicated. Productivity is a big deal. Productivity is a big deal. So if you can, if you're a business, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it to the positive side, which is what we want, but has been lacking in Australia the last couple of years. If you're a business and you can produce more output. For a higher same, wage. And with a higher wage, with the same number of staff, that's great. And it might be, and I've used this example in the past, and it's, it's, I'll use the example because it, it's sort of really, paints a really good picture. Think of an iron ore mine and a hundred men with a wheelbarrow and a pick, picking iron ore. That's, you're not going to get much iron ore. You buy two massive diggers, hire two people, men or women, to dig the stuff out of the ground. Your productivity's increased massively through investment in that machine. Therefore, the price so the per... Productivity, so the price per tonne goes down massively. So instead of paying the cost these per workers ton, cost per ton. $200 a day for 100 people with a pick and a shovel and a wheelbarrow, my God, you know that's pathetically inefficient, to buy, spending, okay, a million bucks each on these big diggers, but you just have two people driving, you're going to be churning out a lot more. Yep. Now, that's an example that we can also apply in retail, in manufacturing, in even some of the services industries. That, yeah, And it's also things like banking. The productivity there, who goes to a, a, a bank branch with a teller? Click, click, click. We do it all electronically. So, in a, okay, it might be bad for bank tellers' jobs, but the productivity from the banking system has gone up a lot because it's all automated. And automation is part of that productivity enhancement too. Well, so technology is a big Technology feeder. is is it. So we, and Australia's been, been good at, sorry, Australian business has been pretty good at embracing it, but not as good as some of our competitors. And I think that's why we, we're lagging on that productivity score. Okay. So, but, but productivity, given what you're saying about wage prices increase, you, productivity is not going to move your, um, your red dot to anywhere else? It's about there. No, it's, it's, about, it's okay. about neutral. It's, you know, we're happy with those labour market numbers. Oh. The international economy is one where we've already touched on. I reckon that's weak. Yep. You know, we've got, well, now in Europe, they're pricing in rate cuts in the first quarter of next year. Oh, wow. They had really bad GDP numbers. Their inflation rate's falling really rapidly. Uh, that's just a New Zealand, similar. I know New Zealand's not the world economy, um, but you know, just as a, the canary in the coal mine, uh, UK is slowing down, Canada's slowing down. As we said, the US, the bond market rally after Jerome Powell and the Fed's decision suggests that the US is weakening, not as much as they feared, but the international economy's weak. China also slowing down. A little bit of resilience in its economy, but the international economy is not something that you would hike interest rates on. And it's conceivable in the next two or three months, if or when the US economy slows and joins Europe, China and the other big economies in weakening, that's when we will join that cycle as well. And of course, our RBA governor and previous governors always talk about the international economy. They do, that's yes. A, that's one of the three it, it, areas it, to look at. They, they, and I guess Australia is, is its own country, of course we are, but we are part of the global economy. Yeah, we import a lot of stuff, we export well, a lot of stuff. Yep, it's 20% of, of GDP. Do you know yeah. what? Our export sector is five times bigger than our housing sector in terms wow. of its contribution to the economy. And here we are talking about housing. Of course we are. We love housing. But in terms of dollars and cents, our export sector is massive. It really does matter to us. So that's why the international economy gets well, Can gets I just the, stop you on that? Just on, so in terms of GDP calc, yep. the expenditure method which we use here, yes, yes. Um, 
Exports of honors imports. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about that or well, you're talking ex- about- Exports as a share of GDP, about 20% of GDP. So uh, annual GDP is now about $2.5 trillion, yep. give or take. Our annual exports are about five hundred billion, so about twenty percent oh, right. of that two okay. and a half yeah, billion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Housing construction. I should sorry. I should take a step back. Not housing as such. Housing construction, yeah, yeah. bricks and mortar. Yep. That's uh, about four, four to five to six percent, depending on the cycle of GDP. So and does but it matters. But the house house construction costs go into the household consumption uh, piece yes. calculation, whereas exports, what we're exporting that. That that's not in the uh, household consumption. That's sitting over there on the on the right hand side of the formula. Correct. And and because we because we are really looking for the net of that minus imports well, as well. Because we do import a lot of stuff. So yes, when you say five five hundred billion, uh, I think you said yeah, five hundred billion. billion is so our, well, what's our imports look like? Oh, similar. We're running a trade surplus, so they're, they're probably four hundred. We're yeah. running about a hundred billion. A yeah. Year. Okay. Okay. So we're exporting more than we're importing. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Which is good. Yes, yeah. I like that. Everybody likes that. That we're sort of paying our way in the world. Um, and that's an important thing. Right, okay, good. Okay, the other one, and I'm actually moving this, house prices. I'm moving it from, I think last few times I've had neutral. it neutral. I'm moving it to neutral to slightly tightening. House prices we saw from CoreLogic went up again in October, uh, just about every capital city, and they're within uh, a tiny amount of hitting a fresh record high. So all the losses that we saw in 2022 have effectively been regained. Right. Partic- and places like Adelaide, Perth have hit record highs. Yeah, yeah. They're still going up. Sydney's now recovered almost all of its losses. Melbourne, a little bit weaker. Brisbane, a little bit weaker. But the, the turning point in the house prices is something... Now, the RBA doesn't target house prices. Well, they're not supposed to. And they're not supposed to. But they do... And this is, again, Michelle Bullock made this point. She was grilled before the, the Senate. the wealth is important. The wealth... Correct. If my house is going up in value, I feel wealthier. Uh, therefore, do I need to save as much money? No, I won't. Yeah, so if, if maybe if your house is going down, I better hunker down and save money. So go. If, if your house price doubles, I'm I'm not going to worry about saving because I've got my house that's now worth a fortune. I'm going to spend money like. So crazy. it goes towards sentiment. Sentiment as well. I feel good when my house is going yeah. up, even though our kids might not <laughs> looking to get in the market. Retail sales shocking. They're weak. Consumer sentiment weak. We've discussed it. So that interlinkage between consumer spending, consumer. Uh, feelings of wellness in the economy are both really weak. And you've just got to look at Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi, these sorts of discretionary spending. Woolies and Coles have been a bit more resilient because they're essentials. You, you've got to buy your food and veggies and groceries and meat and bread and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but it's the sort of JB Hi-Fi's, Harvey Norman, where you know, maybe I don't need to buy a fridge. I'll keep this other one for another year or two or a new TV. I'll hold off buying it. They're the ones, if you look at their share prices, if you get a moment, uh, they're, they're weakening. And that's consumer sentiment. Building approvals. Oh, we had numbers come out earlier this week. Another one in the easing column. I'm getting a bit worried here. Minus 5%. We're only building houses at an annual rate of about 150000 a year. With our population growth, we need, well, according to Westpac, Lucy uh, Ellis, who's the new chief economist, taking over from good old Bill Evans, they estimate that we need to build 240,000 houses over the next three years to meet the increase in demand from immigration. It's currently running at 150. There's a shortage of housing. And interest rates, and Mark, you know better than just about anybody in this uh, on this uh, planet, if interest rates are too high, property developers 
will hold back from building. They're not feasible. It's not feasible, correct. And we want new houses. You know, the government's trying to get new houses, but if, you know, if a property developer not only has trouble getting their uh, zoning approval and all these sort of things, and then does their calculation, they go, oh, my God, this interest cost is kind of killing me. I'm not going to do it. Well, they, they work on and a, building a, approvals are shockingly well, weak. Well, they work on a, re, a, a, a coupon return. They work on a return rate. So yep. they're saying for every $100 I spend, I want to get 20%, yep, 20, no, $20 profit. Of course and if you I'm do, not, yes. and, if, and the thing yeah. that squeezes a profit it, of course, is interest rates yep. and the cost of construction, which has gone out of control. So, <laughs> yes. and the time it takes it to construct too, because that affects yes. the the return. So, as a result, that we have less building approvals. But that has a there is a flip return on and that. That goes back up to it's a house um, price, but it also goes back up to inflation because yep. Yep. it creates rental. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. and we and you yeah. you mentioned petrol; it's waiting seven percent. Um, but rent. where does rent rent, rent weights heavily? Rent, rent's even higher. You know, yep. uh, people spend more money on rent than they do on petrol. Yeah, so, uh, on average. So um, those low building approvals could actually yeah. create a higher inflation number, which Co- could correct. create more in a more tightening. Correct. So it's a perverse thing, and in fact, we should be cutting rates to encourage build. Oh, oh, sorry, we should be cutting rates. That's a bit too strong. Lower interest rates would help property developers to put the shovel in the ground and start building much-needed property, which would add to supply available for rental or for purchase. Which takes some pressure off inflation. Which takes pressure off inflation, correct. Because, as you said, rent is heavily weighted. Heavy weight, and it's, it's actually... And because people are paying so much for rent now, they're spending less in the, in the retail. Yeah. It's not because, because, retail because, so because, bad. Because, and you have to put a roof over your head. You do, yes. I, I, instead of buying filler steak, I can go and buy fucking chuck steak or something yeah, like that. Yeah, buy some mincemeat and have a spag bowl. Yeah, t- totally. Yep. And that's how people think. Correct. And and that's and also the, the Coles and Woolies uh, stories are saying that's what people are doing. So in a sense, you know, we're not starving, but yeah, instead of filler steak, you're buying mince beef and you're making a spag bowl rather than having a fillet steak on the barbie business investment putting that in neutral it's lovely and strong it's again one of those indicators that i like to see business investment doing well we discussed that a bit same with business confidence so you got the consumer side being weak and miserable business are pretty optimistic i won't put that in the rate hiking column because you want business investment as we're discussing on that productivity thing we want businesses to buy machinery equipment it technology to maintain their productivity Commodity price. I'm just going to tilt that slightly from neutral to tightening. Not, I wouldn't put in the tightening, but iron ore is still $120 a ton US. Must have kicked up in the last it's couple kicked, of months. It has. And so for Jim Chalmers, treasurer, who gets a whole lot of tax revenue from the big mining companies who sell this iron ore, the cost of production for a lot of these people is 20 or 30 bucks a ton. So they're making a killing. So it could, it could fall by 50% and they'd still be making good money. The fact that it's so high is telling me a couple of things. And the price of copper's just edged up and a few of these other commodities that go into the manufacturing process. While it doesn't necessarily change the cost of, you know, a mobile phone much because there's only, you know, a few grams of copper and rare earths in it. The fact commodity prices go up, it does feed into the production costs. And again, I've just got that neutral to tightening because commodity prices have kicked up a bit this last month or two. Uh, probably, probably on the back of better US news, by the way, because the US, of course, is a massive Which, of course, consumer. is good for our GDP number. Correct. Good for, good for the Australian economy. Yes, we want high commodity So it prices. makes the GDP look better. Correct. Correct. Now, stock market, oh, neutral. It's come down a bit. Come down a lot actually, but I don't know whether that's the RBA would, would cut it. And yeah, people sort of look at their super, yeah, you know, and they say, Oh, instead of my super being this, I've lost five percent. Yeah, it's, well, it's, where that's it's not, it's not a crash where that was important, though, was during the GFC. So people Co- lost Co- a lot yes, of money yes. on their super, and in fact, and the early days of the um COVID pandemic where the ASX oh, and all the global and people get nervous from, and yep. stocks then do, do become an issue, or, or the value of the stock market becomes an issue in relation to sentiment because people feel like. 
we're talking about my house price goes up. What about my super? If my super drops yeah. to the bottom <laughs> of the ocean, um, that's uh, pretty scary. And the RBA worries about the wealth effect. Correct. The wealth effect is very important. So that is actually an offset to the higher house prices. Yep. Yep. Not exactly offset, but you know the ASX, you know, is under seven thousand points. You know, a year ago it was at seven thousand five hundred. So we've lost ten percent of your money and see, but you know that's. Not a good thing. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and current interest rates, I'm just going to put them in neutral. 4.1% cash rate, 400 points of rate hikes. Um, yeah, lots in the system as we've discussed. So I look at my my dashboard, and again, as we have to emphasise every time we talk about this, these are not equally weighted in terms of the RBA deliberations. Well, more at the top end. GDP is, inflation certainly is, labour market issues are, and they're all neutral to tightening. The things that eventually feed back into inflation and GDP are now turning. So you might call them the leading indicators. The leading indicators have done that proverbial turn lower or are neutral. So for the moment, my conclusion is they don't need to hike anymore because there's enough in these leading indicators suggesting the economy is going to be weakening and that inflation will, in the next couple of quarters, head towards their target. But, of course, it's a personal decision from... RBA Governor Bullock and her board. Have a have a have a go at what do you reckon is her political position? What do you think? I don't mean whether she's yeah. Liberal or Labor. What do you think she's going to do in a political sense? Like people are looking to her saying, "You're our leader." <laughs> I don't know her, but what do you think? And, and they're the going person to say? who's got arguably one of the most important economic jobs in the country, her decision to hike, keep them steady, has big implications for people's well-being. You know, another 25-point hike is that, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back for some people. Some people are, you know, scrounging around, you know, cutting, as I said, cutting back their expenditure on nice things and trying to just meet their mortgage repayments. Another rate hike, another 25 basis points on, you know, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000 mortgage is serious money for a lot of people. Totally. And that's her decision. And she's alert to that. Oh, look, it, her, her, the way that she's spoken since she's become governor... I find it's actually quite refreshing. She sort of talks about things, and, and that Senate appearance that she had a, a couple of weeks ago, she was outlining a range of things that I thought, yeah, that, sound, that sounds pretty sensible. She was a bit more alert to the social consequences of her decision. And in fact, even though the full new mandate of the RBA review hasn't come in, as you were saying earlier, we haven't got the board appointed, we haven't got a deputy governor appointed, uh, there's a few things to sort of uh, I's to dot and T's to cross in the next few months from, uh, from the government. But... Uh, the issue there is that they do have a higher weighting on the labour market, unemployment, than they had previously. doesn't mean they ignore inflation. No, there's still an inflation targeting central bank. But if they're detecting that the labour market's weakening, it just works ever so slightly against another rate hike. And I think that's what Michelle Bullock will be looking at and thinking about when she sits down with her board. Well, I, I think, therefore, just I know it's we've gone a little bit over time, but I think it's what's really important because I agree with you. I think she's very heavily, she's very heavily invested in labour market and wage price increases. But let's talk, talk, talk about how labour, what labour market in terms of unemployment I'm talking about now. Yes. So I think she she is heavily um, invested in that. I agree. I, I agree I, as, a, as, yep. a, as an individual. Yep. I don't know if that represents the whole RBA group, but I mean, let's say it does for the moment because you expect it would. So given that the unemployment number dropped back a bit and didn't continue on past 3.7, yep. and we're not seeing what, what you were talking about earlier in, in, in terms of global markets, other markets, where they, you know, they've kicked up a bit, what do you think the most recent fall in the unemployment number 
people represent to her? She'll welcome it because she, yeah, she wants low unemployment. The lower the unemployment rate stays or gets, the more likely we are to see rate hikes. I think if you okay, in, if you were to boil it down, yeah, if you were to not spend 30 minutes listening to this wonderful podcast and said, I'm just going to look at two indicators about whether the RBA is going to hike or cut or leave them steady. You would, you would look at the inflation rate, what it's doing, and you'd look at the unemployment rate. The inflation rate's coming down, but it's still elevated. The unemployment rate has edged up, but not much. This is over the last 12 months. And that little tick lower that we saw in the last monthly labour market numbers was something that, and again, that got a few people excited too. So, we, yeah, we're focusing on the inflation rate, getting the market, oh, they're going to hike, they're going to hike. That was also in the context of the unemployment rate ticking down from 37 to 3.6% too. So that said, the leading indicators on the labour market are still weak. So she's yeah, aware the, of that. The so other the job indicates. vacancies, yeah. so the job things like job vacancies, which down. are future employment, you know, if people don't cut back their ads you know, without there being some impact on employment. And the other thing about the labour market, you know, we talked about immigration impact on house prices and dwelling rent and these sort of things. It's actually adding to the supply of labour. Yeah. So the firms that were struggling to get uh, labour for their businesses are now finding it a little bit easier because we've had, you know, 500,000 people coming in. They're all young. Most of them are young and got skills and talent. They can do some jobs. You know, so the labour market shortages, the problem that was causing the concern about wages is being fixed by so all supply the of labour. So all the indicators, as opposed to the unemployment number, but all the indicators that indicate when the unemployment number might kick up, in other words, increase, get yep. uh, get higher, the indicators are telling us expect in the future that we might have an unemployment number increase, which, by the way, she probably does want to see. Yes. Not too much, but she does want to see a change in unemployment, which yeah. then means it takes pressure off the wages. Kui, final call, yes or no, up or down, or nothing? No change, but, uh, yeah, no change. I'll put my neck on the chopping block. I'm, I'm with you. No change. Good on you, Kui. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast.